This is episode number 18 with analytics industry expert, Jen Underwood. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to 2017. Isn't this the most exciting year ever? We've got so much going on. The world is dynamically moving into the space of data, digital, data-driven technologies, and it's just so exciting. I can't wait to see what will happen this year in all those spaces. And moreover, on that note, we've got a super special guest today, Jen Underwood is an industry expert in the space of analytics. Um, She has over 20 years of experience. And what we talked about today is specifically that. We talked about the trends in technology and data for 2017. So Jen, as she says, constantly keeps a pulse on the analytics industry and is up to date with all of the technology trends of everything that's going on. Uh, Moreover, she's got a consulting business in the space. She does all sorts of different work around analytics and data science. She's also got a blog on data science. So this is a person that is definitely on the cutting edge of technology. So in this podcast, you'll find out quite a lot. We talked about six mega trends that are currently happening in uh, the space of technology. And at first, you'll get an overview of what they are. And then we will dive deep into each one of them. And I'm sure you will pick up a lot of new and valuable insights. Personally, I learned so much from this podcast. So I'm super excited and can't wait for you to listen to this session. Without further ado, I bring to you Jen Underwood, analytics industry expert. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today with me on the show, I've got a very special guest, Jen Underwood, who is an analytics expert with years of experience. Uh, Hi, Jen. How are you going today? I am doing great. Um, So tell us a little bit where you're calling from. I am calling from hot Tampa, Florida in the United States. Yeah, still very hot. We talked before the podcast. It is. Yeah. It's supposedly winter, but I think it was, <laughs> I, and I don't know the, the Celsius conversion off the top of my head, but 85 Fahrenheit. Wow, that's, I, I don't know the conversion <laughs> as well, but that's that sounds pretty hot. So yeah, it's funny because I was in the US earlier this year and uh, even not remembering the conversion, you like switch over to Fahrenheit there and then you're like, okay, that's hot or that's, that's a bit cold. But yeah, 85 sounds pretty hot. It is hot, now, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so it's great to have you on the show. And um, just for our listeners, uh, could you tell us a little bit about what you do? Oh, okay, great. So I've been in the industry a little over 20 years. It's going to be 21 years um, this coming May when I graduated. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's that's a huge number. You know, it is. And, and essentially, a lot of it's driven by passion. I, I knew I loved data. And it's taken me into different directions that I've really enjoyed. So I started off implementing, uh, meaning building data solutions, did that for about 15 years. 
And then I moved into the more of designing solutions. So I designed solutions on the product team at Microsoft, but also helped them go to market from the technology, you know, speaking technically to buyers. And now I am what's considered an industry analyst, and I also do some market research, and I still have that creative spirit in me, so I'm doing some marketing as well. Um, I always play with data, so the market research, as soon as I get the data and I'm crunching it, but essentially, it's been a really different and unique path, but yeah, 20, almost 21 years wow, of this craziness. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and right now you've like uh, your your LinkedIn is very impressive. You've been in so many different companies, so many different roles, and yeah. all sides of analytics. It feels like you've covered everything. And right now you you have your own company. Is that right? Is it? Um... I, I yes. And the beginning of my career, it wasn't planned at all to mm-hmm. to move around much. But my husband was in the military, and we were forced to move every oh, I think gotcha. it's eighteen every eighteen months. So I was I felt like I was a permanent temporary employee. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and and at the time, I remember thinking, oh, this is really scary and challenging, and I'm always interviewing. But then at the end of the day. That really allowed me to have many different experiences and see all sorts of different ways that people, you know, structured their architectures or their reporting systems and play with different tools along the way. So from an ADD perspective, attention deficit disorder, which I probably do have, but don't, it's, it's, I just joke about it. I I like to learn so much that I think it was really a, a neat lifestyle. And now I I have my own company. I don't think I will ever go back. I like to set my own direction and, and pick and choose per se the types of things that I want to work on and I go after it. So it's instead of when you're consulting and you get assigned a project or you know maybe you're you're stuck in the same thing for a long long time. Now it's like nope, I don't want that situation. I want to really what what is it that I really want to do and then I'm going to hunt down some some group that does that and see if they'll let me many work on that yeah gotcha and so uh, your company is like like a consulting firm for analytics is that correct well it's interesting so it's a it's a mix it's a mostly i would say mostly market and product research at this time where i'm helping vendors design products understand the market i do a lot of hands-on testing of these tools which is really fun and saying, I like these features, I don't like these features, it's missing these things that I would really need as somebody that loves data. Or I'd say, this is really not the the flow of how I'd be looking at, I really need to have the script at this point or the output at this point, looking this particular way. Um, And that's been really fun. I also help people write content and communicate effectively with other people that love data. Uh, Because a lot of times when you look at some of the content that's coming your way, it's just fluff or it's meaningless and it's, it's just not effectively communicating with you. And I've really been enjoying that aspect as well. So it's a mix of product and market research and also a little bit of writing. Okay, yeah. And uh, you, you have a personal blog as well where I, I notice you have uh, lots of very interesting posts on the subject. <laughs> that is my passion project. I don't think people realize how much time that crazy blog takes. Uh, <laughs> I would say easily each post is is a probably a full day. I, I, they usually start around 11 p.m. or or midnight, and then I'll be at four four five in the morning. I'll finish up, and and I always think, oh, it's going to just take two hours, and it always takes about six or seven hours to really 
create a good post. But for me, that's my creative outlet or that's my creative spirit that gets to shine because a lot of times in projects, you may not have that ability to be creative or to, to get that side of the project. So it's, it is my, it is my um, hobby. Yeah. Yeah. I understand completely, uh, completely up to you, right? What you choose to write about, what, what you want to cover off in the next topic and so on. Mm-hmm. And we'll end call things out in the industry. I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing right now is the media is a bit corrupt. I'm going to become open with saying that. Um, they're telling one side of the story on a lot of different things. Uh, the vendors certainly aren't going to tell you everything that you need to know to, to evaluate solutions. So a lot of times I'll elevate topics that I think are really important for folks to realize that may not realize it, that don't have a technical background or just topics that are fascinating. A lot of times I'm predicting trends. So I see different trends in the industry. And I think like my most popular blog this year was BI Wars. It was a Star Wars themed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, again, really creative, different, you know, probably not going to see that in any, any normal tech journal. But it were really it was real stats, it was real information, and I'll be darned if a month later some of what I said came true, uh, which has been really interesting. Uh, I didn't think it would happen that fast, but That's yeah, really so cool. it's been, it's been um, it, it's also an outlet for me to call out vendors or to just keep the world honest with data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. That's great, and I'll definitely check out that. BI Wars. That sounds sounds like fun, <laughs> and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that uh, you're. Um, you're excited about predicting the trends because that is exactly the reason why um, I reached out to you to invite you on this podcast is uh, I would like to talk about uh, the industry trends. Well, actually, to be fair, uh, I, I knew there was lots of stuff you can talk about, but during our conversation by email, you mentioned that this is something that you know, you're very passionate about. And I'm super excited to talk about the trends, you know, especially leading into 2017. This year is is kicking off, and uh, we want to know what's happening, what's what's going to be um, happening in the world of tech and the world of data in 2017. So, yeah, I'd love to start that conversation. Could you um, maybe outline for us the main uh, industry trends, and then we'll dive deeper into each one of them? Okay, so there's a few that are what I would call mega trends. This is you'll hear a lot about this, and the core theme around them is this concept of digital business transformation. And digital business transformation incorporates a few different types of of movements that you're seeing. The cloud and the whole concept of cloud computing has really proved to be very compelling. And we're finally seeing the fears of trusting the cloud, moving to the cloud. The laws in different areas of the world are changing the government, uh, different types of agencies that historically prevented sharing of data and whatnot, uh, all of these are contributing to a bit more cloud adoption. So we're seeing that shift happen a little bit more quickly now. Amazon just had their big event and shared you know, where those were. Gartner had an event this year and shared how far. And it was fascinating to me in Gartner's presentation that 49%, almost half of CRMs, we're in the cloud. Now, wow, that's 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 a lot. Uh, so that's one of the big pieces. The other thing we're seeing is intelligent analytics, and that's fantastic for this audience and, and myself included. 
And that's taking things like the whole concepts of cognitive analytics, artificial intelligence, deep learning, predictive analytics, and prescriptive analytics that for, for years I was hoping folks would get there. Um, that's finally starting to become key as data is seen as digital gold and it's the data and what do you, the information that you can extract out of data, that's really the game changer in this, you know, where everybody pretty much isn't equal in this cloud world. That's really the differentiating, you know, analytics being at the core of that transformation. So some other things we're seeing, and this is, you know, when we do these or when I, when I give some of these sessions live, I show a video of, you know, the computer and it's a robot that's so humanistic that if you if she didn't have this little patch, you know, showing it was a computer. Her name is Sophia. It, it's it's scary how realistic the machines are becoming. And I'm I wish I'm not a sci-fi movie watcher, but it feel honestly it feels like I feel like we're a few years away from the sci-fi world of is that a human or is that a computer? Because then on the on the phone you can't tell if it were Sophia answering the phone and these chatbots that you're working with, you know, the Watson, the chatbots and, and whatnot, they are so realistic and you wouldn't know. Um, so that's really getting to be quite interesting. We have what's called the internet of things finally taking explosion. Um, there's been a very interesting, you know, research around things will certainly be more than people in this world. And they, they are already, right? So it's these smart things and all the digital signals that they're sending and, and this whole internet of things becoming its own kind of entity and creature to, to navigate in what, what I would call, there's this other piece of physical and virtual world. And that's the area that I'm honestly most excited about. And it's more just because I think when I look about it, I think about their things really called third world. <laughs> What was, that, what was that world that there's another like alternate world or something and folks would tool around and they'd have other identities and whatnot in this physical and virtual world. This is where you're taking augmented reality and virtual reality and you're able to see an experience as if you're right there and things, even with data, I'm seeing, you know, being able to immerse yourself, dive into charts, look at them in all different directions and, experience it. There's a bit of simulator sickness that you experience when you start to experience data this way or even some of the other types of virtual reality viewers. But it's fascinating to see, you know, maybe, um, you know, different types of applications of these technologies from healthcare to helping people, you know, simulate real world situations to even just experiencing. I have a friend that's disabled and I showed her the the glasses, uh, the, the Google Cardboard glasses with virtual reality and the Discovery Channel and being able to experience going through a, a jungle that she never would have the opportunity to do otherwise, um, you know, and jumping around and looking 360. It's it's really cool. Um, so there, those are what I would call the the top trends. And we can certainly dig down deeper into lots of the other little ones that might be easier for folks to grasp. Yeah, no, thank you very much. That's that's a great overview. And yeah, I'd definitely like to talk more about these. That's just that example of uh, the virtual reality that you mentioned. Okay, I totally agree on that. I uh, myself just tried out the HTC Vive recently. And oh, yeah. yeah. It feels so real, right? You're climbing Mount Everest or, you know, you go, you're shooting a crossbow or uh, a bow and arrow. And like, it's just, it's insane how realistic it feels. Yeah, it's really cool. 
we just went and I've had the Google one for a while. It's it's very low cost. We bought it was the Oculus Rift. Oh wow! I believe is what it's called, and, and it was on sale. I think, and so we got that. And even to you know, it's just a whole new way to experience uh, watching and and just interacting with entertainment that I'm certainly not used to because I'm not a gamer. Oh, that's actually a good point. So gaming. And this gaming industry is really influencing tech. Um, and that's, it's kind of fun and cool, but it's also, you know, it, it's just getting really interesting. Yeah, totally. And, uh, but it doesn't always have to be gaming, right? With those uh, virtual reality well, tools, you can, like, for instance, with uh, HC Vive, you can just um, switch on your desktop and actually, like, create a virtual workspace and work on your actual projects, but in a virtual workspace. You know, how crazy is that? No, like, that's neat. Yeah. yeah. So one of the solutions that I was looking at earlier this year, I think there was called Datascape. They're based out of London. And there are certainly other ones coming for the data and analytics space of being able to analyze your data in virtual reality. So, so that's been a really fascinating area that I've been looking at. But yeah, it doesn't definitely not gaming. Uh, so what I'm seeing the most potential adoption. We're seeing already early retail, you know, new retail experiences, being able to experience the product in 3D or imagine yourself in this cool car. Um, yeah. yeah. So that, that industry is certainly jumping on it. But we've also seen my sister's in healthcare and she's been doing, she calls it Sims. So simulators for a long, long time. Certainly, you know, IBM Watson's kind of dominating some of that space right now. But all these different applications of, you know, training folks to, hey, getting a, a chance to see an experience to entertain and just looking at things from a whole new perspective and reinventing. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's, uh, it's, there's massive um, opportunities for application of these things. Okay, so just to sum up your trends and then we'll go into them uh, so our listeners can follow along. Um, we've got uh, digital business transformation, uh, we've got cloud computing, intelligent analytics, smart machines, Internet of Things, and uh, physical plus virtual world. Uh, so, if by the way, if anybody listening to this is not in the car, because a lot of our listeners actually listen to the podcast on their way to work, you can uh, Google and look for Jen's presentations on SlideShare, and maybe as we go through these, you'll be able to get some additional information from the slides um, that you'll find. All right, so digital business transformation. Could you tell us a bit more about that? What what does that mean? What does that imply? So the digital business transformation, and I have a session on this specific one. Um, on I have a blog, jenunderwood.com, and events. There's, re there's a recording as well, and there's also a blog that details what digital business transformation means because it seems really generic when you when you listen to it. But when I start to dig into it, I think it will begin to make sense. A great example, a lot of times I like to use examples, um, is if you think about Uber and the concept of, you know, sharing resources that already exist or some of these new business models that are very different than historical business models, but they're relying on technology at the core and just changing the way that the customer experiences the solution or the provider. In this case, it's it's, you know, signing up to, to get a cab, in this case, it's, it's an Uber, all sorts of different approaches to it. So it's reinventing a business to a digital model. 
and looking at what we would call the customer journey and the customer journey being, you know, historically, maybe you would go on a website and order a cab or you might call a cab from a phone number and then there's a certain queue of cars that would be available and, and you know, they'd send it out in tickets and orders. Well, Uber completely reinvented that and said, well, just through this little app on your phone, wherever you're at, we can then send it to folks that'll be nearby. All these cars are idle. You don't have to then, you know, purchase. I think in New York City, I'd heard the last rate for being a cabbie was something like $500,000. It's like buying a home. Yeah. So it's a, it's a mortgage to, to be able to, to be a taxi driver. And being an Uber driver, you just get the download the app. I think you, you know, apply, go through a background check, and you're good to go. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really removing that barrier to entry, using technology to more effectively reach that audience, and just altering, kind of altering the system. But the key is what we're seeing happen in that space is that whole concept of looking at the customer journey, what pieces can be digitized and automated or, or changed to be um, more flexible and leverage some of the assets that we already have. Those are some of the commonalities. Okay, gotcha. So um, take businesses that, you know, or ways of doing things that existed previously and like are not really aligned with where the world's going and change them to get them up to speed, right? Like mm -hmm. great example of Uber or same same thing with Airbnb, right? Don't build hotels. Yeah. Use exactly. Amazon is, you know, disrupting retail. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, totally. And uh, we can keep going, right? Facebook it, uh, it doesn't produce any content, but is like the biggest content uh, marketing <laughs> p platform in the world and and so on and Alibaba, right? Also um, it changes the way that you can start a business and take an idea from inception to uh, actually bringing products to your customers very quickly. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a, definitely something that we've been seeing. And so you think this trend will just uh, become even stronger in 2017? I do. Okay, beautiful. All right, so we should look out for more companies like that. And if anybody has ideas for companies and how to change things, then definitely something worth looking into. Next one was cloud computing. And you mentioned an interesting statistic that 49% of CRMs are already in the cloud. And that, that's a huge number. That's like half of uh, customer relationship management systems. Is that is that across all of the ones that exist in the world? Or is that across a sample that uh, of, of some certain industry that they were looking at? So in, I believe it was October, it was October or November of this, no, it was October of this year, Gartner has an annual conference with the C-level the executives in Orlando, Florida. And this year they talked about the stats on the Gartner audience. And most of the Gartner you know, surveys and audience and customers, those are large corporations. I would say you're not going to see a lot of the smaller ones. So when you talk about what's the sample survey that they used, it's their customers. And here are some, some stats from that because I thought it was really interesting. The 2016 annual spend, and I do have a blog on this, by the way. It was October 19th. That's when it yeah. was. 49% of the sales in CRM were already in the cloud. The next biggest one was, let's see if I can read this. I'm going to make this picture a little bigger that I'm using here. I think, I think you were looking at marketing at 27%, some digital commerce, which makes sense. Um, what what isn't quite in the cloud yet are things like manufacturing operations. So those are still computers, probably in a warehouse somewhere. 
And what's kind of in between both of those at 20% is HR systems and procurement systems. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so very interesting stats. So slowly we are seeing things move into the cloud. And uh, by, by cloud, we obviously mean that um, just um, off-premises, right? So we mean data storage, like whether it's on, for example, if somebody's using Dropbox, right? So that's, that's an mm-hmm. example of your data being on the cloud. It's not on your personal computer. You don't carry it around with you all the time. It's in the cloud and you can access it from other different locations. And so uh, just uh, to kind of um, sum up for our listeners, what would you say are some of the advantages and disadvantages of the cloud? Like why is it taking so long Ah, to kick off? Yeah, so this is really interesting and I have some recent um, experiences with this itself. The benefits of cloud are the ability to rapidly deploy innovation So even historically, when I was a product manager at Microsoft, in the past, it would be every five years we might release an update, or then it became every three years. And then we're real excited that it would be one year. Well, in the solution that I was, it was a cloud-based solution for Microsoft that I was on the product team for last year. We were releasing once, almost once a day. No way. Um, and, And Amazon said the same thing. They were having... Over a thousand releases in 350. What is it? How many? How many days of the year are there? 365 um, days. So <laughs> yes, three releases exactly. per day. So it's more than one per day. <laughs> and I thought crazy. this is just staggering. Yeah. Um, it's so compelling. And the other thing that was really interesting, um, and we've certainly seen it, and what cloud allows you to do, is what what Salesforce did to Siebel. Right. So Siebel was on prem. They were the leaders in CRM, and this is now for older folks. On older folks might, may get this, but the younger ones may not. But basically, Siebel was the like the CRM system and the you know one the leader. Well, Salesforce came in the cloud and they innovated very very quickly and far surpassed them. And so when you think about some of the ease, so some of the benefits is the speed of innovation, and I personally experienced it. And now when people come to me and they have only on prem. I warned them that they can easily, very, very quickly get surpassed from an innovative standpoint if they don't have a cloud-based solution. And I, I was anti-cloud maybe two, three years ago until I experienced oh, it myself. Really? Yeah, and the reason why, <laughs> and I still think it's, it's, it, there's, there's an important reason why, and Gartner confirmed this as well. It's very hard to estimate the challenge of cost. You, you know, how much is this really going to cost me? And... Gartner confirmed that that really it's it's very very difficult and there's a lot of surprise bills that are people are not prepared for, and when I think about boy it was so nice just to just buy this package software and the customers that I would work with, they would have a database maybe for 10 12 years we're like oh gosh you really need to upgrade every once in a while, you know but hey it works it, we don't need to to fix it so this model of constantly paying, you're you're paying a lot more for cloud you you really are. So it, the, the downfall is, is certainly that. And right now what I'm seeing, at least, in some of the early adopters of cloud is these shocking bills. Um, there's a customer in Tampa. I can't say who they are. They just laid off 40 people because they had a $2 million overage on an Azure bill that they weren't expecting. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you really need to um, be prepared and proactively, very, very closely monitor your cloud costs because – um, it will alter your business. And that's what we're seeing is folks having to adjust their their whole business model. We're seeing, you know, companies like ClickTech saying, well, we need to reinvent ourselves for cloud now. So they went from being a public company to a private company to give them the chance to, to restructure and reorganize their business. Um, 
But yeah, so there's a couple downfalls as you need to be, you know, ready for it. The, the good part is, yeah, it's easy and you, you get a lot of, you get a lot of new features very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's, that's some very interesting insights, the company going from public to private just to get ready for the cloud. And with your comments on that it costs much more to be on the cloud, um, there's like, I will agree and disagree. First of all, like, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> on, on one hand, it uh, probably does when you go to something like Amazon and uh, like when they have this e EC type of um, billing system where they're just billing you per uh, per hour or per minute and so on, like it can it can really accumulate very quickly. But and it is it is an expensive thing because you're paying for a premium for the you know the service, the security, the updates at agility, the speed, and it's um, something that they understand these providers that uh, they can charge for that premium. But at the same time, for a company, imagine like a huge company with six thousand employees who has uh, servers, and then they all of a sudden they need to upgrade. They have to spend like $20 million just upgrading the servers. It's, it's a one-off huge cost, right? So even though uh, cloud might be, uh, it might cost a lot over the like uh, a long term, so every month you're paying huge bills, it's still, it's at least, uh, if you manage it properly and it's uh, predictable, um, it's uh, it's manageable. But when you have to, when you don't have any costs for five years and then you have to upgrade for $20 million, and that's yeah. a huge cost in one year, and that can really sink companies sometimes. And that that's interesting you say that because I remember when one of the cloud data warehouses came out, my my peers in the network that build a lot of data warehouses, they were ecstatic <laughs> because and the reason why is and there you know you see a lot of excitement around these cloud data warehouses. Well, one of the reasons was because then they can take you know what all the money that you would spend in the hardware and now put that towards services. <laughs> so you know, and that's how my friends make make money. They they make a living right is by selling their their data warehouse building services, and they're like, oh, you have more money to spend. So this is great. Um, so yes, you absolutely have a point there, and it was confirmed even by the reactions of my peers. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. That that was a great dive into cloud computing. Oh, I just wanted to mention this funny, uh, very funny thing I learned recently about cloud that we we constantly think about cloud as this celestial thing, you know, like up in the cloud. But actually, when you think about it, the cloud, what is that? That's like just somewhere in a server somewhere far away. But how does information travel across continents? Travels by in cables. In the ocean. In the ocean. Yeah, so the cloud the is actually, yeah, the cloud is underwater. <laughs> If you think about it, so yeah, yes, it is. it's absolutely true. And some of the servers are in the ocean to be cooled by the ocean, which is um, I have some mixed feelings on that because I'm an environment lover. Okay, wow. I, I'm sure if I love that or not. Um, but yeah, there's even servers in the ocean too. That's great. Do you have a blog post about that? I don't. You should write I, a blog post about that. That's so fun. About the cloud, you know, that's a fun. That's a fun concept. To, yeah, to talk yeah. about the cloud being in the un, under the ocean, because the ocean's very mysterious to a lot of. I mean, even really to the scientific community, they're they're constantly finding new creatures and, and new things in the ocean. One day the, you'll find be, some servers there. I, if I do, I'm going to definitely send you that link. Okay, sounds good. Um, all right, moving on to the next one: intelligent analytics. And here you mentioned that. Finally, you've been hoping that um, the world moves to this for quite some time now, and finally, we're moving to machine learning, um, not, not necessarily artificial intelligence, that's the next one. So machine learning, um, different 
modeling techniques and you know really upskilling the way we use data because data is the digital gold of this era. What else can you add to that and where do you think uh, this trend is going in the next year or in 2017? So the intelligent analytics is, is a fun area to see to evolve. So essentially we're moving from the maturity level of analytics of historical reporting and now we're beginning to see you know more forecasting and predicting but the technology again is moving so fast that various vendors in the in the space are automating the predictions and going through all the combinations of variables that historically someone might do by hand and look for the correlations or they look for you know, the variables with for data science, the most information gain, if that means things to folks on the line, and looking for those interesting patterns within the data and transforming variables to find what I would call the art and science of data prep. Well, you have vendors right now that are automating those processes and automatically creating predictive models and, and showing you the results. And not just predictive, but also prescriptive making recommendations of what to do based on the scenario that you have. Now, these are things historically, you know, you only had a few, you know, a few people maybe in an organization, in a large organization that could do it. We're really talking about the one or 2% of the population that's able to do prescriptive analytics that understands what optimization and simulation even means. That, that's a very rare skill set to find. Um, but we're seeing some of that being automated. There's a lot of skepticism that I have around that, and so do some other folks. There's some good and some bad. The 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 good is that some of the dirty work is being automated, and you're you're getting some instant things. You know, when you run some of these automated insights, you'll within a minute or two see, you know, some of the things that it may have taken you a much longer to find if you were to find it. Um, it's unbiased, you know, it's going to run across everything. So you may not realize that you have a data science bias when, when you're applying, but subconsciously you might. Um, so that you're, you're removing the bias in the analytics. One of the fears that I have with this is it's garbage, garbage in, garbage out. Um, a lot of times the predictive model needs to really reflect the business process you're trying to predict. And you may not know all the variables in that process, or it's very iterative in nature. And one of the examples I had was for an insurance company. We're trying to predict churn of their reps that come in to sell because it's very expensive for this company to train them and then find out they weren't a good fit from the get-go. So what we were doing was creating a model. And you know, the first iteration of the model says, well, don't, don't hire anyone from New York City. <laughs> and no, that was that was the output. So we, you know, we take it as the the techies to the business, and the subject matter expert says, "Well, that makes sense." There was a there was a law that changed, and we're like, "Oh, we never thought to in- include the regulatory, you know, laws for that in the model." Uh, so you know, it's things like that where I say, you know what, I just don't think every single thing can get automated, and we do need to be aware of the limitations of these tools, but to you know, a naive or an uneducated buyer, oh, what's taking, you know, I could see somebody that really does data science. What's taking you so long? What's the problem? I just saw them pick pick the easy button. You should have an answer to me by now. So I'm hoping that, you know, these things don't, we don't have a bunch of bad decisions and we don't have missed expectations or unaccept, you know, unrealistic expectations for folks that really do the true art and science of, of data science. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. And um, I totally agree. It's, uh, even though machine learning and all these uh, new modeling techniques are picking up, there is still a gap 
that only humans for now can can fill in where you've got to apply that domain knowledge you've got to apply that creativity you've you've got to do that there's some research that you cannot get from the data right you go and sit down with people working in the business and you find out insights like this that you know there's been a legislation change and that's something uh, that's not part of the input for uh, the machine learning algorithm and uh, therefore it's it's only a human that could have adjusted that but you know with time probably you know 10 years down the track machines will be doing everything i i, I think but for now <laughs> it is I scary yeah 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 for now totally agree that um yeah people should have realistic expectations that if they want a great model something that's really working it does take some uh, time and some creativity to come up with something like that all right, so that's uh, intelligent analytics. And next one was smart machines. And uh, here you talked about robots and um, machines like, for example, uh, IBM Watson and so on. That's, sometimes you can't even distinguish whether it's a human or it's machine. And so what what is your prediction for for this space of robotics and robots and uh, you know them integrating with our world slowly? Do you think it's going to start in 2017? Well, I think it's already happened, and it's happened in different parts of the world faster than at least it has in the United States. If I look at Asia and countries like Japan and China, they've had robots already. Uh, mostly we've seen them, and we do see them in the United States as well, in things like warehouses for you know, picking and bagging and tagging um, inventory-type systems. But what we're seeing happen in in Asia right now are robots that can bring you food service when you order food service from a hotel. They, when you come into a, a store, you can interact with them and ask them, you know, what is it the type of, I think it was Nescafe was using this again, retail getting creative with, you know, experimenting early with technology and experimenting by the way, is a theme that I'm seeing in a lot of digital transformation and a lot of, you know, playing with some of these technologies to figure out, well, what works and what doesn't in the whole concept of let's experiment and fail fast and, and just try new and different things. And, and it's actually being rewarded more so now where it used to, when I began my career, you didn't really want to take risks too often. You know, a lot of people were afraid to do that. And now risk taking is almost encouraged because we're trying new things on the bleeding edge. But, but going back to Nescafe, so they're experimenting or they experimented with, I think it was Pepper the Robot, uh, in different stores to help consumers direct them to the, the coffee that they might like. So it's certainly, we're seeing a lot more of that. It's the cost of these, making these computers and these robots in Silicon Valley. You know, we've, I've certainly seen a few running around uh, in parking lots, you know, to, to try and share with people how far it's come. But the cost is still too prohibitive for it to to get adopted widespread right now. But I do see that we'll see more and probably probably more from larger organizations. All right. Yeah, totally agree with that. Thank you so much for the overview. And my natural question here is something that I've also been pondering myself is what will happen uh, to in the world when these robots start um, uh, replacing a lot of the manual labor that we have. So when people start losing jobs to robots, like if even a coffee house is starting to use a, a robot or um, a hotel is try starting to use a robot to deliver food and room service, um, what will happen when mass population starts losing jobs to robots? What is your prediction for that? 
Well, it's certainly scary for the next generation. I, I have to say I love to be positive about certain things. And in this case, I, I can say I'm uncomfortable with the answers in some of the some of the things that I see propaganda-wise in, in the media. So I'm hearing a lot about universal base income that I never heard about even three, four months ago, really being pushed in the media today as jobs are being offshored or there's different types of trends with this automation. I think there will be a lot less jobs. The estimates are there will be 60% unemployment and it's being sold to the population right now in the media as, well, this is an opportunity to live more and to enjoy yourself. And it might be. Now, I'm a workaholic and I don't know what to do sometimes on my time off. But but yes, I would love to do more with animals and nature. And you only live once and certainly looking at a computer screen every single day of your life is certainly not healthy. So I think there is, is going to be a balance that, yes, we're going to enjoy our lives more. So on the good part, the bad part is our systems for mortgages and for loans and for, you know, different types of things need to change with this and need to adjust with these changes. The other thing that I think is looking at different types of employment. So I think what we'll see is a renaissance of trades where it was the Oxford Martin School, I believe they might be in in England, did a study on you know, the probability of computerization and what jobs would and would not be around and the types of jobs that would be around. They have an online calculator. It's, it's quite fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, the types of jobs, if, if you have to crawl in small spaces or, you know, interact and negotiate with people, if you have to care for people, those types of jobs will be around. Um, the types of things that won't be around are services jobs that we've really you know, we went from being manufacturing to service. So this is the fourth revolution and fourth industrial revolution, this whole digital transformation. The World Economic Forum is another really good site to track what are the trends and what is what are policymakers around the world doing about this problem to, to help with this employment? Because now what we're seeing is the services jobs going away and what jobs are left. So that healthcare, taking care of people, negotiating, I think there's going to be a whole different type of job. And when I say a renaissance of trades, you know, being able to, to build bridges might be really cool again or, or doing things that, you know, require that person to be on site and to deal with, you know, location issues because it's hard to get a computer in some, you know, certain types of scenarios to crawl under a house or to, to go into certain locations, those types of things may be, be new. So we're really heading into a bit of an unknown. Yep. Um, altogether, really, all of us are. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, uh, very, uh, like you say, scary and exciting at the same time. So hopefully uh, our policymakers and governments can keep up with the technology and make sure that you know it's, it's for the best of everybody in the, at the end of the day. Well, we are seeing already in the artificial intelligence space, the largest companies getting together and saying we need to have some ethics in data science. And I believe that just happened maybe a month or two ago. Um, so we are seeing folks certainly talking about these issues, which is good. At least they're not hiding from them. They're, they're addressing them. They're bringing it out into the open to have conversations. And it's a matter of being aware of what's happening. So you can only plan so far in advance. But 
it is certainly something to be aware of. So if you're you're going for a law degree or something, the, the, the lawyer jobs may not be around. Mm-hmm. So just be aware of that. Okay. And uh, can you elaborate a little bit more? What does uh, ethics and data science, uh, what did they talk about in that uh, conference? Oh, so essentially what's happening right now is the concept of, uh, and you're going to hear a lot about this. When we talk about trends and what you're going to hear about the next few years, um, this is really, and you're starting, you, you saw it really start to surface with Salesforce, Mark Benioff, being upset about the LinkedIn purchase oh, by yeah. Microsoft that's and the control right. of the data because the data is key. Yeah. And that's why you see all these apps for free. It's the data. Um, so we're going to see a lot more about when you give your data away. Did you agree? So I certainly did not agree to give my my career information to the to 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 whoever bought my you know was Microsoft in this case. I I didn't agree to do that. Maybe I'm uncomfortable with that. It's what rights do you have with the data itself? And Facebook has lots of controversial uses of the data, as probably does Twitter and some of these other accounts as well. Uh, so things on how are we, how are you using the data? What rights are being given away? Um, do you understand the privacy you know, laws? Is it being, I think, on the policy level, and I thought this was really interesting recently, there's the White House in the United States has a paper on bias in data science and ethics in data science. And in their case, they're saying, you know, we look at setting credit scores or making loan approvals and these types of things, making sure the data is not biased towards one specific demographic or or another one and and making sure it's really balanced and uh, not skewed, um, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of different, a lot of different angles of it, but it's finally being discussed. Yeah, very interesting questions are being raised. That's that's totally that's totally a new space that's emerging, right? Just as a consequence of how quickly and uh, in which direction the world has been uh, developing in terms of data science. So it will be interesting to to hear more and see what what comes out of those conversations. Mm-hmm. All right, now we've got uh, two more left uh, trends. So Internet of Things, our fifth trend. What uh, what uh, is the Internet of Things, and what are your predictions for twenty seventeen? So when I think about Internet of Things, I think about all these little sensors that we have sending data. And it can be something as simple as it would be a sensor on a package that might be being shipped. And you can tell immediately you know, what, where it is and where it's at in the shipping process. It might be a sensor in, in, on, a, on a vehicle saying that you're speeding yeah. and being sent to your sent to your insurance company it might be um, you know a machine somewhere I think the most one of the most fun I call it gadget gadgets is one of the, the Amazon buttons that you can program yourself and just click the button or you're even seeing being able with voice being able to talk and, and order things so you have things doing you know sending information for you or finding information for you. And the amount of data that things generates is beyond exponential. It's just ridiculously huge. So there's new architectures being designed that can just ingest and handle. And a lot of times it's very periodic heavy loads. So think about maybe when you have a massive sale on in, in the United States, at least, it's the day after Thanksgiving. We call it Black Friday. And then there's Digital Monday or Black Monday. I don't remember what they call it. Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday. And there's, yeah. 
massive loads of folks, you know, grabbing those great deals while they last. Um, so you, your architecture needs to be very flexible and just bring in data in its raw format and just be able to ingest it. It's called ingestion. And it's a very different design pattern from when I started in the industry. And we would literally ask for requirements and we would design how the data would come in. So we might bring it in and store it somewhere, but then we would, you know, be very picky about what we might take and, and pick out and put into a data warehouse format to use. It's very different now. It's just get it all in there. <laughs> and then and then we have really cool technologies. I think what Amazon just announced, Athena, that you can just query the raw data in S3 as is and schema on read. Just just read it and query it and interact with it. No modeling, no database. I'm like, holy smokes, wow. no ETL at all. No data prep. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Um, so it's really getting interesting, the design patterns. So the design pattern changes, just the way data move moves changes. And, you know, this concept of things and being monitored everywhere is, is also quite interesting. Yeah, totally. Okay. So, and uh, you think that this, this uh, trend will only strengthen in the coming years. So you said beyond exponential. So we should expect even more data, even, even more, what is it? The three V's of big data, velocity, variety, and volume, right? So you should, mm -hmm. you should expect that to just increase in 2017. Mm -hmm. I do. And we're seeing that even with the consumer of, Hey, I've got a, I, I literally have, it's like a raspberry Pi gadget in here. I can, and you got people that they're, they're monitoring their garden <laughs> when they're when they travel. They're traveling consultants that monitor their garden with this with the with a Raspberry Pi. I ordered a, it was one of those easy buttons. So I thought, well, that's neat. I just want to play with it. I just want to be able to have my own button where I push a button and all these cool things happen with it. Um, so the technology is is also being distributed to consumers quite easily, so it's accessible. All right, thank you for that. And we've got one more to go: the physical plus virtual world and uh, all this VR, augmented reality. Very exciting things. Where do you think that's going in 2017? Ah, so I see that first and foremost coming to a lot of folks when Santa comes this year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. So as you see a lot more folks playing, they get the viewers. The viewers are less expensive. They used to be $600. We got ours this year for $70. US wow. So it's it's really very now realistic with pricing the google cardboard was twenty dollars what i think and now we have enough content in the library where you'll see the consumers this year enjoying it playing it looking for it we'll probably see a lot more marketing at the retail the national retail federation i would expect to see more displays and more um, you know, ways to attract, again, from a marketing perspective or an awareness perspective, these campaigns with VR to experience their products in new and different ways. I also expect healthcare, healthcare analytics. And I was surprised I did some market research in this area recently, just how pervasive it was in my particular network of analytics professionals. And what we'll see there is the ability to use virtual technology in different industries like healthcare like working with, you know, electrical equipment or, or different types of very different, difficult situations that you want to be able to do. It's called simulations today to simulate that environment. So I would expect to see much more there. I'm not sure how much we'll see in data. I certainly am very um, optimistic that some of the solutions will come to play. What I can see so far in the, in the data visualization space is I've seen some fun demos of experiencing 
the stock markets with, and it felt like you were on a roller coaster, literally. <laughs> so it was really neat and it's fun, but it's hard to it's hard to synthesize because the general user, or the general audience, is not used to experiencing data uh, by riding on a roller coaster or you know, looking at it, and I looked at another one, it was a Salesforce example with Oculus Rift, and I said, I don't know what on earth I'm looking at, what's good and what's bad. So there's a lot of learning. So what I think we'll, we'll see more of is, if anything, experimentation, also um, folks learning how to design user experiences so you don't get sick, because we're seeing that happen already in the mainstream space. And we'll just see a lot of fun campaigns, really, this year. Yeah, yeah, sounds sounds exciting. And for uh, those uh, out there listening, definitely pick up one of these devices, especially if they're uh, now cost effective. You know, twenty dollars, fifty dollars. Just like I do it sometimes. Like even though I don't think I'm interested in something, some piece of technology, and if I can afford it, I will still purchase it just because I will. Want, I want to experiment with it and just to be on that technological trend to know where the world's going. Because that might give me some ideas. I might come up with, you know, a business idea, or I might come up with an application idea out of it. And uh, like Jen said, uh, experimentation is a, an important part of innovation. And um, you know, especially around this festive season, why not pick up one of those devices and see what ideas you can come up with? All right. So wonderful. Thank you very much for going through all of those six trends. I'm sure there was a lot of value. I learned myself a lot from. Uh, all of these examples and from all your valuable experience and I'm sure our listeners will too. too. And coming to the end of this uh, podcast, I'd like uh, to ask you to uh, share some ways our listeners can contact you and get in touch with you and uh, maybe follow you or maybe even uh, connect with you over the different uh, social media and different resources that you have. What would you say are some of the best ways to get in touch with you? Well, thanks for asking and thanks for having me on the show today. The best way to contact me is I have a website, jenunderwood.com. It's my blog. There's contact links on that blog so that you can fill out a form and just reach out to me. And I do get those and I, I usually answer fairly fairly quickly most of the inquiries that do come in. If you want to follow me, uh, LinkedIn, I have a profile there. Google, I think it's called Google+. Plus. I have a profile there as well. And on Twitter, I'm very active on Twitter. Um, my kind of, I guess you call it your, your tag name or something, is at, at idigdata. Um, so it's, it's an easy one. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, I can attest to that. Jen is very active on Twitter. So um, very interesting insights being shared there. So definitely... If anything, definitely follow Jen on Twitter, I dig, at idigdata, and uh, get the latest and greatest of the technology updates. So uh, one more question I have for you, Jen, today is what would you say is your one favorite book that you can recommend to our listeners that will help them become better data scientists? So it is my favorite all time. It's an oldie but a goodie. Is the Dorian Pyle Data Preparation for Data Mining book. And what do you like about that book? It really goes into what I would call the art and science of preparing data. And that's the magic sauce in a model is how you would transform the variables. You know, sometimes even finding a pattern that 
wouldn't even necessarily, maybe it's the, the null values or it's the, the records that weren't filled out. You know, that's, that's a variable. It helps you think about how to look at data a little bit differently for predictive modeling in general. So it teaches you how to think and approach data prep. Uh, things like the skew and the bias I talked about, you won't realize maybe that you have in your sampling techniques. Uh, it, it's it's really a classic that's taught in most of the, the at least used to be taught in, in the universities. I don't know if it still is, but but it's probably one of the best ones that taught me just the, the magic and how important that piece of the process is. Fantastic. That's, that's some great advice and totally agree. Uh, data preparation and the way you think about your data, about your data problem and about how you're going to tackle it are very important. So go ahead and check out that book, Data Preparation for Data Mining by Dorian Pyle. So thank you very much, Jen. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast and I'm sure so many people are going to pick up so many valuable insights from what you have shared today. Well, thank you for having me. So there you have it. How exciting was that? So many different technological trends and each one of them has so much substance to it, right? It was so interesting talking about this with Jen. I definitely picked up so much from this podcast myself. Probably the biggest insight for me was the thing that we talked about in digital transformation when we, when Jen mentioned that it's about reinventing businesses to a digital model and she gave the example of Uber. We talked about a bit about Airbnb and all these businesses that are doing same things that used to be done before, but they're doing them differently. They're doing them dig digitally. They're disrupting their spaces. And um, like I've, you know, I've always thought about these things and I've known, everybody knows about Uber and Airbnb and all those companies, the way they operate. But I've never thought of it that way, that they're actually doing something that used to be done a lot of the time before. It's, it's something that's been around for a very, very long time. They just they just changed the way it's done. You know, they didn't invent something new to be done. You know, hotels have been around for ages and the taxi industry has been around for ages as well. But they've just invented a new approach to an old problem. So it's just a different way of thinking that uh, I think I'm going to be a bit more open to now or I'm actually going to uh, encourage myself to think about things I see around myself in that way. But at the same time, everything on this podcast was super valuable. I'm sure you had lots of different takeaways and I could, I could probably make a huge list of the things that I'm going to take away from this show. And hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, then you can find the show notes at www.superdatascience.com slash 18 because this was episode number 18. And there you'll find... Um, the transcript for the episode, any resources that we mentioned, including a link to the book that Jen mentioned. Also, you'll find the links to where you can contact Jen, uh, such as LinkedIn, Twitter, her personal blog, her company website. There's a lot of links uh, to remember here, so definitely check out that page. And I highly recommend that you do follow Jen on Twitter, so her handle is at idickdata. The insights that she's sharing are invaluable and they're, they're sometimes funny, they're sometimes exciting, and they're always about technology. They always will help you keep up to date. And on that note, thank you so much for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>